like I said, it's good to see all of you. It's good to be back. We were um, we were in Arizona last week with Zach and Sarah, and that all kind of came by surprise in some ways. About a month ago or so, we were having lunch, and the conversation about them traveling to Arizona came up, and one of our grandsons said, Mammy, Pappy, you should go to Arizona. You have family out there. And I said it was a good idea for Lisa to go, and then Lisa said it was a good idea for us to both go. <laughs> so we both went. It was, a, it was a joy to be able to walk with them in this journey with uh, Eliana's birth mom and, and to meet her family and spend time there and to support them and just be with family. Sarah's sister, Christy, came down with Abigail. We got to see them. It was good to visit. It's good to be with her, Lisa's brother and sister as well, and family. I will say this. I expected better temperatures and better weather. You actually had two warmer days here than we did out there. Imagine that. That's just insane, isn't it? Mike, it just shouldn't happen that way, right? You should go to the south. You should get the south weather, right? Anyway, we had a good time, good trip. For those of you who are still searching for your one word, uh, I would encourage you to continue to do so. And what is the one word for our church? Thank you. Let's say it out loud together. Speaking of encounter, maybe you have been paying attention to the news and you have seen the latest outpouring maybe of the Holy Spirit in Asbury, Kentucky. Interesting, isn't it? Um. It's obviously taken a little bit of front page news, and there's a lot of commentary about it. Lisa and I, um, actually several years ago, when there were a couple other outpourings, if you will, and, and we have to be careful about all those terms and all those kind of things, but back many years ago, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto. We traveled up there, and, and we, we wanted to see what that was about and how that was playing out, and then there was one later in Brownsville near Pensacola, and we went to see that, and you know, one thing I do know about these kinds of things is man cannot sustain these things. If God's doing it, God's going to sustain it. And he's going to run it and he's going to operate it. And one of the things that I can tell you that I think is very important in these kinds of things, because, again, even as we as a church search for an encounter of God, there's going to be some things that are going to be tied with that. I think one of the things that you'll always see is there's going to be this genuine outpouring of worship. There's going to be what I would call an alabaster jar Worship, meaning it's going to cost you something. There's an outpouring of yourself in that worship experience, a surrender, if you will, kind of a desperation in prayer before the Lord, not only for your own personal surrender, but for the lost and those who are far away from God. I believe there's going to be signs of genuine repentance and turning away from sinful ways and I think there's also going to be a sense of reconciliation, maybe in broken relationships. So I'm grateful. I'm praying and and believing that that God really is in the middle of that, and it will absolutely spread because we desperately need it. We need a move of God that's going to change us. We need an encounter with God that's going to change us. So a couple weeks ago, uh, we began to look in God's Word and see what He says and see what the Word says about priorities. So the verse we've been dissecting is Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So when you break this down, and I know we've spent several weeks because Ron talked about it uh, some last week as well. Seek first his rule, seek first his reign, seek first his power, seek first his authority and his righteousness, which is really basically what we're saying is that according to your view, God, according to your right standards, how should we act and live? Then all these things will be added. Ron paired together last week, Matthew 22, the great commandment which says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So obviously you see two key words there that came out in both passages. First, seek first the kingdom of God, and the first and greatest commandment. Now when you think about the word first, what comes to your mind? First, right? Top priority, most important. You think of levels of importance that first is in the front line of all this order. Purdue basketball was in first place at one time. So what is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God? And again, I want to just keep rehearsing this because it's important to understand that this terminology has a direct implication for us. It is seeking his rule, his reign, his power, his authority first above all things. And when you pair that with the great commandment, loving God with all your heart, you're giving God everything that you're having. You're subjecting everything that you are as you love him in relationship to his authority, his power, his rule. When we love God and love others, we're seeking the kingdom first. When we seek the kingdom first, we're loving God and loving others. I thought it was an interesting comment that Ron made about successful people. What is the common denominator of successful people? Those of you who were here last week, what did he say the common denominator was? Priorities. Prioritizing their lives. Successful people prioritize things in their lives so that they can be successful. They prioritize everything, relationships, time, resources, even their money. Listen, if you want to be a successful Christian, if you will, if you want to be a Christ follower that that exhibits success, if you will, prioritize your life around the kingdom, around the things that Jesus says was priority, serving, giving, loving, inviting. By the way, we have to take, and it sounds like, man, that's a pretty worldly term, successful. It also means fruitful. Successful means fruitful. You want to be a fruitful follower of Christ? You want to be one that manifests the fruit of the Spirit? Then prioritize around the kingdom. That doesn't mean that everything is going to fall into place perfectly. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be added to you as you want them added. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be void of of difficulties and challenges. Anybody facing difficulties and challenges right now? And those of you who are, you're, you're likely trying to seek the kingdom of God. You're likely trying to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And yet these things keep happening. It's like, come on, God, I'm trying to follow you. Why does this happen? 
Well, just because you love God with all your heart and just because you seek the kingdom first above all things doesn't mean life's going to be perfect, right? Just look at the disciples. Look at the life of Jesus and his exhibiting of his life as he's following the Father perfectly and yet all that he faced. All these things added to you doesn't mean you get what you want. What it does mean is that God has a plan for you. God has a plan to take care of you, and God has a plan to provide for you. So today I want to talk about money. Yay! Benjamins! I just happen to have one. Pretty amazing I still have one after a trip to Arizona. Benjamins. Aren't they lovely? I remember the day when I thought this was like a million dollars. I mean, there was a time when I saw one of these and I thought, they are rich. Who carries these things? Remember starting to work in the business world and my boss would have wads of these wrapped around and what are you carrying that much money for? So he says, dad used to do the same thing in the top pocket right here. I mean, just rolled up with hundreds. Wow, that's a lot of money. hundred doesn't mean squat these days. So here's the deal. If we're going to seek the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, his plan, his purposes, then money has to be part of that equation. It just has to be. If we're going to follow the first and greatest commandment of the law, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and body, then money has to be part of the equation. Now, it's really interesting, and I have a reason for this. You'll see here at the end. But money is a very interesting topic, you know? Money can build bridges, and money can also destroy bridges, right? Money has destroyed many a family. Money has destroyed many a business relationship. Two men that go together in business and they think, we're going to conquer the world and money becomes the dividing factor. It's interesting whether you have a little or a lot. All it takes is a death of a family member to see where people are where money is concerned. I don't want nothing from grandpa as soon as he dies. I want that. People will start fighting and people will start bickering over what's left over. And in reality, none of that is going to last anyway. But we just hunker after what little we can get. Money is just a tool. It's just a tool. It's kind of like a hammer. You can use a hammer in demo. Really works pretty well. Demo meaning demonstration. You haven't watched Chip and Joanna very much, obviously. A hammer works well in tearing things up or driving nails into studs where you're building a wall. But if you try to use a hammer to do electricity, you're going to have problems. So it's just a tool. And it's a matter of how you use it and your view and your perspective. But there certainly is a right way and a wrong way to use money. 
Matthew chapter 6. We were in this a couple weeks ago, which got us to Matthew 6, verse 33. But I want to replay some of this because this is important for us. Again, get the mindset, set the stage of what God talks to us about where money is concerned. Verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth. Hmm. America is one of the most hoarding nations in the world. We hoard, we keep, we collect, we store. And when I'm even talking about food, we store junk. We rent buildings to store junk. We build barns to store junk. It's incredible what we do. And we do it as if it's just like this passage of life. That it's the, it, well, everybody else is doing it. I guess I need to do it. Don't store up treasures. That's the first good principle about God's economy of money. And we're going through this. I mean, some of it has to do with age. But I look around and I go, I don't want that anymore. Let's get rid of it. I don't need that. We live in this much space. Why do we have this much space? Let's live in this much space and let's have one chair and one coffee maker and one TV and forget it. We could probably do without the TV too. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Again, let's go to America. Many people in America have alarm systems because they don't want what they have stolen. And it is for protection as well. Because where your treasury is there, the desires of your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat and drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you... By worrying, add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, again, I said this a couple weeks ago, and I remind you that Jesus is not talking about a careless lifestyle here. You have, when you look at scripture like this, you have to put it in a broader context and you have to go in and just really search out what is he really trying to say here. He's not telling you to live carelessly and foolishly and walk out of your house naked. He's not saying that. 
But what is he saying? I believe what he's saying is that we spend way too much time, way too much energy, way too many resources in taking care of ourselves. And unfortunately, that becomes the primary agenda. In other words, we prioritize ourselves above the kingdom. We become consumers instead of investors. This has permeated our world and it's permeated the church. Not just us, but the church. Another word for consumer is customer or shopper. And what we see today in our culture and in the church world today is a lot of professing Christians who are not investors, but they're consumers or shoppers shoppers looking for a deal, what's best for them. This is not what the kingdom was designed for. That's not the heart of God. The kingdom working through his church is totally opposite of consumerism. Jesus' mission in the kingdom was to serve, not be served, to give completely of himself, even to the point of death, to invite people into a changed life, to love people unconditionally, regardless of where they came from or their background. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not against people having a business and attracting consumers to buy their goods. And I really don't believe Jesus is against people having a business either. The principle goes back to this very simple phrase, we cannot serve two masters. You will either serve God in his kingdom or you will serve man and money. If you serve God in his kingdom, then God will take care of you. If you serve man and money, It is left up to chance how it turns out. So how do we move away from being consumers to investors? Again, hear me very clearly. America is built on capitalism, right? God has so allowed in such a way that many people have businesses, and that's what we enjoy. We go out to eat. People have a business. We want to eat right after church. We're going to go eat. So we're glad that businesses run and businesses have have product where we can consume and take care of things and life and get our clothing and so forth. There has to be a healthy balance. And here's the thing that God says in his word, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now take in my take 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 thought here and, and keep this in mind. This was written by the smartest man, the wisest man in the world. And he's encouraging us, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. When Solomon did that, he was blessed and prospered. When he did not, he was not blessed and prospered. God has a plan for everything, including how we spend and use our money. God knew, and here's the key component here, God knew that we were going to struggle with stuff. Amen? He knew it. He knew we were going to struggle with finances. He knew we were going to struggle with stuff because that is a pathway where we think we can gain some power and control over our lives. And he knew it would be a struggle. He knew it would be a challenge. Having the stuff and having the money is not the issue. It's the stuff and the money having us that is the issue. It's being enslaved to it. 
So what we see in Proverbs is a good good summary of that. All throughout scripture, God is constantly calling his people to give of the first fruits of everything that they produce. You can see it when they were giving birth to their first male child and dedicating him unto the Lord. Mary did that with Jesus, our Savior. The first fruits of everything that we possess, the first thing fruits of everything that we produce. Why? Does he need the stuff? Does God need the stuff? No, God doesn't need the stuff. When you look throughout the Old Testament and the Scripture and the Exodus and Leviticus where they're bringing their offerings and they're bringing the animals and they're bringing the grain offerings, God doesn't need the stuff. It was a lesson for his people to learn how to depend on Jireh, their provider. It was a process by which they gave of what they had, which they knew came from God, and they were trusting Jireh to provide for them the rest of the way. He wants us to know that he can be trusted. So I know we're all over the map here. We're going to get a few more scriptures here. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's the New Testament echoing very similar themes. Let's look at this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we go out. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I just love that, that thinking because it's true. You know, we just had a new granddaughter. She didn't bring nothing with her. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And every funeral I do, even though people like to put stuff in the casket, it does not go with them. I'm always amused by that. And I, I, I'm not being critical. I know that, that that's a memory and that's a connection for folks and, and different things. And I've seen all kinds of stuff put in, in, in caskets. It's amazing. I'm like, I wouldn't put that in there if I were you. I'd keep that. Because it ain't going with them. But, you know, I don't say those things. I'm just thinking them. Why are you putting that brand new deck of cards in there? Well, let's play euchre later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, what? What? But again, I get it. We, we, we just have these connections and we try to, you know, how are we going to, that's fine. I'm not being critical, but I'm just saying, no, that stuff goes with them. You don't take a thing with you. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. <laughs> Message done. Amen. Let's go home. If you have enough food and clothing, let's be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmless desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. We're going to expand on this here real quickly. So, verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, rich, all of you, all of us, we're rich. I know we don't feel like we are, but we are rich in the world. We are. America's the richest nation in the world. The lowest income in America is higher than almost all third world countries. We're rich. 
Teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Can I hear an amen there? Because money's not very reliable right now, huh? Those of you who have 401s and retirement accounts, you're like going, oh my gosh, where did it go? Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Why do we need to talk about money? The reason we need to talk about money is because God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan to finance his kingdom mission and his kingdom purposes through us, the local church. That's his plan. That means he wants to use us to fulfill his mission here on this church. Real quickly, I want to just show you three things out of that First Timothy passage. First, money can be dangerous to your health. It can be dangerous to your health. It's especially dangerous to your spiritual health because it can be a trap and a lure that takes you down a path away from your walk with God. Again, how many of you have seen business relationships or families corrupted by money? The trap, the lure of more. Maybe just, you know, that's the amazing thing about, about an addiction to gambling. I, I've never bought a lottery ticket. I, I want to because I think I might hit if I, if I buy it. That would be fun. Because if I got like $500 million, I'd give the church probably $450 million. Maybe more. Because who needs $50 million to live on? But it's the lure. It's the trap. And, and again, if you, if, you play the, if you buy a lottery ticket, this I'm not condone, condemning it. I'm, I'm not saying you're a sinner and going to hell. I'm simply saying that there is a lure and a trap. I watch it every time I go in and do my addiction of a Diet Coke. There's a lure and a trap there. But I go in and I watch. And I mean, I just see them buy them and peel them off and buy them and peel. And it's constant. It's like, maybe I'm going to hit this time. Maybe I'm going to hit this time. Maybe I'm going to hit this time. And there is this lure and this trap for always wanting more. And Paul told Timothy, you got food and clothing. Can't you be content with that? Hear me well. I'm not talking about that we shouldn't. Try to, again, there's a balance in scripture. We should store up. We, 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 should, we should put away for the future. We should, we should do retirement things. But we just have to have a balance in why we do what we do. Because all this is, is a tool. It's not a gateway to heaven. It could be a gateway to hell. It's a trap. It can draw us away. The biblical principle is contentment, to be thankful for what we have and not always craving and longing for more. I mean, it happens on the simplest level, right? I mean, just very simple levels. You know, like, I love shoes. 
I love tennis shoes. And I buy me a nice, pretty pair of tennis shoes. And the next thing I want to do is find me another pair of pretty tennis shoes. Same thing with dress shirts. I love dress shirts. I don't buy them. Lisa does. But when she buys me one that's pretty, I think, I, we're always walking through the store. And my eyes are always going, mm, I like that one. I don't buy them all because I'm not paying full price. Anyway, <laughs> second, God is not against money. God is not against money. God is not against money, and he's not even against those who have the ability to make it, whether they make little or a lot. He's not against people who make a lot of money. So for those of you in the room that make a lot of money, God bless you. He's not against it. The scripture even tells us, trust in God who richly gives us all we need. He is, he's not a spiritual Scrooge. He actually likes to give and bless. But the reason he takes away some time is because of what we do with it. We misuse it. And the third thing is Paul was telling Timothy and telling us why we should do this, why we should give. He instructed the rich, which is everyone in this room, to remember to use their wealth for doing good. $100 bill. If every one of us had a $100 bill in this room and I gave it to you, prior to this message, how many of you would have done something good with it? Now, what he's talking about is serving others and ministering to others and blessing others and helping others. If I just handed you a $100 bill randomly on a church Sunday morning and there was no context with a message, how many of you would have walked out and just given this 100 to someone who needed it more than you? Now, not to shame anybody or guilt anybody, but I'm going to say most of us would have said, hot dog, I'm buying new tennis shoes. Right? Hot diggity dog pastor must have got a bonus and he's blasting us. And I'm just going to go buy me some shirts or something from my car or something. Most of us, most of us, most of the time do not think towards what can I do with this that's doing good for the kingdom of God. I've heard all the stories. Many of you have too. Man, if I hit the lottery, I sure would start giving to the church. No, you wouldn't because you're not giving now. If you're not giving now, if you hit 500 million, you won't then either. One more passage, Matthew chapter 25. Here we, we, we actually hear and see Jesus illustrating the kingdom of God. You know, so we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his rule and his authority in our lives. Seek first. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. You know, the two paired together, they make a wonderful blend of first, meaning that putting God first and what he wants and loving him first above all things. Now, Jesus gives us a parable, a story we won't read it all for time's sake. But Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 15. 
He says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to the other, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Now, I won't go into this this week. This will be next week. But according to his abilities... We were on this trip, and we were surrounded by two or three people that have amazing abilities to make money. I've never had that gift. I've prayed for it. I've asked for it. I don't have it. There's something called an entrepreneurial spirit. There's something about some people that have the ability to literally touch it, it turns gold. To look at it, it becomes a plan. To walk into it and it prospers. It is truly an ability. So God really is trying to show us there are some in this room, some of you have ability to do more and make more than others. That is not a curse or a damnation. That is just the process of life sometimes doesn't mean you're less than. But what he does do is for those who have been given much, much is required. So what's the point? If we're seeking the kingdom first, if we're loving God with all of our heart, then we have a work to do and we all have something that we should contribute to the work, the kingdom work. God uses us. We're a conduit. He funnels through us finances to finance his kingdom purposes in the world. As parables taught from various angles, it can be taught from, you know, like one pastor shared with me, actually, it was uh, Billy Holden, three T's, time, treasure, talent. You know, it can be taught from various angles. But when you do the research, this parable, this story is totally about money, totally about money. And the principle of the story is about investing into the kingdom of God. Here's the scary part. Remember those of you who are here in the room who are a little bit older, and maybe you're at a place where you're just starting out in life. But remember, remember when you bought your first house? Anybody remember that? Okay, or you bought your first car, which is about the same as a mortgage now. But 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 you bought your first house, and you remember that 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 scary point of signing on the dotted line, and then going, "Oh crap, I got to make a payment one time here for a long two months." Oh, we got two months. Okay. And you're scared to death because you don't know if you can make the payments. You think you can make the payments. You did the budget. But yet, you know, you know, life happens. And even with a car, it's like, I can, I can I make these payments? And the scary part is, is you look at it, and on paper, it doesn't seem to match up. Listen, church, we're there on paper. It does not match up. I look at the paper. I look at the figures. I look at what I feel like God wants us to do in this coming year. And we can't do it according to the numbers. But I will say this. We cannot do this with what Pastor Robert Morris calls a scarcity mentality. Let me help you with this. 
And it means that we, God's people, a people who walk in faith, we begin to believe a false narrative. And we begin to think like this. Scarcity mentality is when we believe that any resources, whether it be money, love, approval, influence, or opportunity, is somehow limited. The mentality also says that power must then come from another place, maybe from myself or from a community of people, but not from God. Now let's think about the opposite. What's the opposite of scarcity? It is abundance. And the abundance mentality is that is this, that which is a quiet confidence in God that he has plenty. And if he asks you to give it all away, he will still provide in return and restore you. I can't lose my bill because I still have more points to make. We can't think about what we can't do because of what we don't have. We have to think about what we can do because we have a heavenly father that owns it all. We cannot operate and think from a scarcity mentality that says, oh my, we can't. We don't have it. Listen, I know your finances are being challenged. I know they are. Mine are being challenged. My electric bill has gone out of sight. Food has become outrageous. But if we are committed to serving others, if we are committed to loving others, if we are committed to inviting others in, into an opportunity of a changed life, if we are committed to loving the unlovely and helping the unlovely get back on track, then it's going to cost a little bit. And God uses us to finance his kingdom purposes. That's why he's always done it. The life we live today are from the seeds sown yesterday. So if we look forward and want a different tomorrow, we must sow seeds today. Seeds of faith. I don't believe he would be upset if I shared this. Lisa's brother, his name is Randy as well, told us a story about his life journey. And this is a man that has 10 bags of silver. He's got an ability to make money. Amazing, amazing ability. Like I stand back and I go, I don't know how this dude does it, but I'm going to keep touching him and hoping that osmosis rolls off on me. Somehow when we butt kick or you know, whatever, we're going to, I'm going to get something. Amazing ability to make money. He's my age, a little bit older. Listen to me carefully. He's made and lost millions three times. And he's lost because of business partners that 
you know, money will divide, right? Money is a trap. He's lost because he got a little too greedy, thinking that somehow he had done all of this and all of his success had to do with his abilities. I just stand in amazement because he's lost more than I've ever made in my lifetime. This last cycle, after God kind of pummeled him and put him to the ground because Randy wasn't following Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He grew up knowing about Jesus. He grew up in the church. But he strayed, man. And part of it had to do with this. Like Paul said, it lured him away from the faith. And when God finally got his attention and put him down on his face and began to really work him over, like, brother, any of this didn't come from you. It came from me who has blessed you to do what you do. He started going back to church. An amazing thing, the first time he went to church, listen to this, this is so funny. The first time he steps in the door of a church for years, the pastor's talking about money. <laughs> hilarious. I mean, God's got a sense of humor. Pastor's talking about tithing and giving and blah, blah, blah. The pastor challenged him, not him, the church, but he got the message to sow seeds of faith. And he's thinking, I know what I have in my wallet. And what I have in my wallet is my last $100 bill to my name and nothing else. Didn't have a bank account, only had the clothes on his back, food to eat, car to drive. This was the last $100 bill he had. In a step of faith, he just simply said, it's yours. Dropped it in the offing plate, never looked back. And God has restored him. It's amazing what God has done. And and he doesn't live the lifestyle. He doesn't have the houses and the cars that he once had. He doesn't need them because he didn't need them then. He's content because he's got food and shelter. And he's just living life like God's really taking care of him. This is a good way to live. You don't have to worry and stress about losing millions because you don't have them. Because there is a lot of stress that goes with that. Now, some of you are thinking, he's going to challenge us this morning, isn't he? I am. I am. But I'm going to let you decide what that looks like. And I don't do this for show or dramatics or anything, but this is the last $100 bill I have in my pocket. And I'd be foolish to preach something like this to you and not do it. And listen, folks, this this is not like beg, plead, we got to have money or we can't operate. We're going to operate this year. We're going to operate this year. We're going to pay bills, and we're going to do things, and we're going to operate. We're going to be fine, but 
let's not operate out of, we can't do this because we don't have it. Let's operate out of, we can do this because he has it. And then trust that if he calls you or me to do something pretty dramatic and astronomical and big, that he will provide and take care of us. Even in one of the worst economies that we've had in years. As the saying goes, you do you. You do what you feel like God wants you to do. I'm going to pray. We'll close it out with amen. This is not going towards anything except just continuing to feed and fuel the vision that we have. We've got to get some things done, absolutely. I think the next phase, we want to tear this out and put new windows in or something like that, Tim. Uh, hopefully, we can get you back on track and we can start that again. And, you know, because bottom line is right now, more heat and air conditioning is going out the windows than it's coming in, that's staying inside. That, the, you know, so, so we have some kind of really kind of needful things to finish up. That's not critical to us continuing to do ministry. Because bottom line, Friday nights are, are, are more important than that of people coming out off the streets that have challenges with different levels of addiction that just need a safe place and maybe a snack and a meal to keep them through the night to keep from going to the bar. That, that, that's more important than windows. I know all that. Having classrooms for children, having classrooms for students, having classrooms and opportunities to learn the word of God, that's more important. I know that. So as we close this morning, we'll dismiss. If you have time to grab one of these and fill this out, please do. I mean, again, don't sit there and go, oh, he's got my stuff. Maybe I don't. So put it out there. And then do what you need to do. You be you this morning. And trust God. Trust. This is what it is. It's about trust. It's about trust. It's complete trust. For some of you, it's a big trust. It's a huge trust. For some of you, maybe it's not at all, but you, according to your abilities, just do. Because God uses people like you and me to fulfill his kingdom here on earth. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you that you are Jireh. You provide. You make a way where there is no way. Lord, I know we're, we're in very difficult times. There, there's, some, there's some families in this church. I know they're struggling. I know they are. Struggling probably to keep food on the table. Struggling maybe to keep the lights on. I know. And God, maybe we're supposed to be part of helping some of the families here in this church. Maybe we just don't know the need and we need to be part of that. I don't know, but I just know that you use us to help others. That's how the kingdom works. Love God, love others. We, we, have, a, we have a role to fulfill in, in just ministering and helping those who have needs. So whether it be inside the house or outside the house, 
We look to you. We trust you in faith, in faith, in faith. And again, there's no strings attached. We can't just put this in and say, well, God's going to give it back more than a hundredfold. Scripture does teach that, but we can't put strings on it because it may come back in a hundredfold in a different way that we thought. But what I do know is if we do it in faith, in obedience, and let go of it and trust you, you will bless. I know that. I've done it in my life. I've seen you do it in others. Thank you for this time. We love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.